Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. This is Steve Robbins. Welcome to the Get It Done Guys Quick and Dirty Tips to Work Less and Do More. Today I'm here with Kim Scott, the author of the new book, Radical Candor, and she's going to tell us how the truth can set us free. Hi, this is Steve Robbins, and welcome to the Get It Done Guy podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here today. So I have to tell you that I actually believe that I know your secret. What because- is my secret? I'm not sure I know my secret. Well, if you if you did, it wouldn't be much of a secret, would it now? <laughs> the very first musical that I was ever in was Evil Dead, the musical. Mm-hmm. And the demons that come to life and take over people's bodies and turn them into zombies are called Kandorian demons. Oh, my goodness. So you may not have made the connection, but it was very clear to me when I read the book. I'm like, mm-hmm, Kandorian demons, radical candor. These, were these Kandorian demons evil or were they good? They well, were demons. I, you know, I I strongly believe that every demon mother would deem her child or his child's <laughs> behavior appropriate. So I would have to say it depends on perspective, and maybe that's one of the things you can help us understand here today. Perfect. Well, so hopefully radical candor is not a demonic idea. Uh, the, 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 the very simplest way to describe radical candor is it's the ability to care personally about somebody at the same time that you challenge them directly. You're not doing people any favors at all if they're making a mistake and you know it and you don't tell them. So I think a a simple way to explain radical candor is to explain what it's not. Uh, So when when you do care but you don't challenge, that is ruinous empathy. That's not radical candor. When you do challenge but you don't care, that is obnoxious aggression. That's sort of front-stabbing, brutal honesty. That's not radical candor. And when you neither care nor challenge, it's manipulative insincerity. <laughs> That's not radical candor. Well, I'm sure that none of us have experienced any of those before ever in our entire no, work history. never, never. Yeah, I've had such a blessed life. <laughs> Um, so, okay, so I don't know if you recall the Roseanne, Rosanna Dana skits from Saturday Night Live. I love Roseanne, Rosanna Dana. So Roseanne and Dr. Joyce Brothers were sitting in the sauna one day. Mm-hmm. And as you may recall, Dr. Joyce Brothers had a little bit of sweat ball dripping off the end of her nose. Uh-huh. And Roseanne, Roseanne, Rose, Roseanne, Rosanna Dana was sitting there going, hey, Dr. Joyce Brothers, you got a sweat ball on the end of your nose. <laughs> Would that be an example of radical candor? Well, let, let me ask you a question. 
it's because it's a great example. Did Roseanne, Roseanne, and Dana, and I don't remember the episode, did she show she cared or was she just trying to embarrass him? Oh, I think she really cared. She yeah. was, she, but she didn't know how to bring it up. Yeah, yeah. So it may have been, it may have felt like obnoxious aggression, but she meant it, she meant it as radical candor. Now, the, the question, of course, is how do you measure radical candor? And I would argue that it gets measured at the other person's ear not at your mouth. And so if the other person knows that you care about them when you're telling them that you've got spinach in your teeth or sweat ball at the end of your nose or your fly is down or whatever, then it's radical candor. If they feel like you're trying to humiliate them, then it's not radical candor. It, it really depends on how that other person feels. And and if the other person feels terrible, then it's your job not to back off your challenge, not to say, well, actually, you don't have a sweat ball, but to say, I'm sorry that you're upset, to react with basic human compassion. Now, perhaps I am, again, you know, betraying your supernatural origins here, but how do you know how they're taking it if you don't, if you don't have the ability to, I don't know, read minds? Yes, that is the challenge. A simple thing you can do is pause and ask and say, I'm trying to be helpful here. Is this helpful to you? Or I'm only saying this because I, I, I want to make, I want to help you make this better. Am I helping? So if you, if, if you simply ask, a lot of people will often tell you, sometimes they won't, but, but just realizing that, that you're supposed to pause and, and look for the signs, a simple thing you can do, really simple, is when you're giving feedback, do it in person. Don't send an email because most of communication is actually nonverbal. And so if you give feedback, if you challenge somebody directly in person, you can usually see most of us are pretty good at reading emotional cues from other people. We're actually surprisingly good at it if we take the time to do it. Another thing you can do, I, I've, I've seen this done in a bunch of different places, is just create some shared vocabulary. If you like the terms radical candor, obnoxious aggression, ruinous sympathy, manipulative insincerity, just say, how did that feel to you? Did that feel like radical candor or obnoxious aggression? Nine times out of 10, what happens when you give feedback is you, you are afraid of being perceived as a jerk. But the other person is afraid you're not telling them the whole story. So you are worried about landing in obnoxious aggression. The other person you're talking to is more worried that you're going to be ruinously empathetic and not tell them the whole story. And once you see that dynamic play out, it becomes much easier to just say it. And say it kindly, but just say it. Okay, so there's a real key here, which is that they want to hear the truth. And if you come across as trying to hide it. In fact, not only are you not doing any favors by quote unquote not offending them, but if anything, you're actually giving them what they don't want. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in, in some in some senses, if, if you boil this down to a, a less emotionally fraught situation, like if somebody's fly is down and you don't tell them, you know you're not doing them any favors because 10 more people are going to see them with their fly down. If somebody's standing in the road and they're about to get hit by a bus, you don't worry about embarrassing them. You're like, get out of the way. And and so much of feedback is really kind of basic like that. You know, uh, just last week, I was working out with my trainer at the gym. And let's just say that it wasn't exactly a sweat ball, but he had a thing going on with his nose. 
And it took me about 10 minutes to work up the nerve to say, oh, Steve, you, you might want to grab a tissue. Yeah. And he looked at me with this horrified expression. And he said, oh, my God, how long have you known? <laughs> and I said, well, about 10 minutes. He's like, and you didn't tell me until now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you are, but, but that, it's very funny. I often tell people, like, it's easy to tell somebody about spinach in their teeth. It's a little bit harder to tell them about a fly down. But a lot of people draw the line at, at boogers. <laughs> they don't want to tell somebody. But you're not doing anybody any favors not to tell them. Right, absolutely. Even even if it may sting for a second, it's way better than walking through life yes, with the with, with sweat a, ball. Yes. <laughs> we can just use that use that or term. A, ha- a hanger, I think. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> you know, I'm sure somebody's come up with a complete vocabulary for all of this. There is. There is, actually. In fact, we, we were going to do a whole, on our podcast, we were going to do a whole Radical Candor segment on how, you know, where people draw the line. Uh, where BO is another one. People really hate to tell each other they have BO. But you're not doing somebody any favors if they stink and everybody's talking about it and reluctant to be in the same room with them. And they're just unaware. Absolutely. So I want to follow up on that one for a second. I have a friend who has a very nasally grady voice. Yes. And we were talking once and I started to notice that people were reacting to him Actually, as I was watching, they were actually reacting to him when he would say something by cringing a little bit. And I took him aside and I said, I don't know if you know this or not, but you have a very nasal voice. You might want to consider learning to to do something about that because I think it's affecting the way that people respond to you. And he just went ballistic. He was like, oh, my God, this can never be changed. You're just telling me that I'm a failure at life, etc. How do you deal with something like that when... When you're giving feedback, but the way it's being taken by them is as if it's a personal criticism about their unchanging state of being, rather than being a, hey, you know, here's a tissue, you can wipe the sweat ball off the end of your nose. Right. It, you know, it's it's really important to think think through this, especially when it feels like something that is so, so hard to change, like your voice. Uh, I once had a, a boss who told me, pointed out to me that I said, um, too much. And when she did it, it it was actually, it was Sheryl Sandberg when I was working at Google. And when she did it, she had the name of a speech coach all ready to give me. And she had gotten Google to pay for the speech coach. So, so that was a, a, I knew she was on my side and I knew that I could change this. It was going to take a little bit of work, but it was something that I could change. And I think you, you, you point out something that's so important. When you give somebody feedback, you want to give them feedback on something that they can change, and you want to be willing to help them change that, change whatever it is. So I think that you did the right thing to tell your friend, but I think maybe helping him find a person who can actually help him change this. I'm sympathetic with your friend because I have kind of a – I have kind of a piercing voice. In fact, sometimes when I'm leaving voicemails, my my voice triggers the pound key and the voicemail hangs up on me. I don't know what it is. And and it's something I've struggled with. Am I going to spend the time to change my voice? Because it's it's important how people react to what you say. So I'll tell you, if you do public speaking or if you're doing podcasts and things like that, it turns out that 
I, I believe at least, it is a real advantage to be able to have that type of voice control because people in Western cultures respond to voice tone un, uh, unconsciously. They're not aware that they're doing it, but your voice tone can have a dramatic impact on how you come across. This is a whole other topic, which isn't exactly radical candor, but I guess bottom line, if you do decide you want to do it, uh, drop me a line and I would be happy to tell you to give okay. you some hints on I'm, who I've worked I'm, with. I'm going to take you up on that. And and your friend should, too. Did you ever get through to him? No. He ah, he I'm absolutely insisted that. there was nothing that could be done. And I, I used to have a very nasal voice. And when I decided that I wanted to do public speaking, and later it evolved into podcasting, but first it was just for in-person public speaking, I took mm-hmm. voice lessons and I really worked at it. And now, at least I'm told, I have a very nice voice. You do have a very nice voice. And that's a great, you know, that is another great radical candor tip. If you can go to somebody and say that you've had the problem that you see them having and that you've solved it, now all of a sudden you're making yourself vulnerable and you're showing that whatever the problem is, it can be solved. So so maybe try telling your friend your story. Uh, I will do that. Now, question, you just said the word vulnerable. What does vulnerability have to do with anything? Vulnerability is so important. A, a crucial part of radical candor is being humble. If you, there, There's a reason why I call it candor and not truth. If you go to somebody and you say, I'm going to tell you the truth, you're kind of implying that you're certain you're right, you're not open to their point of view, and you have a pipeline to God and they don't. <laughs> And that it's sort of hard to listen to that. Whereas when you're when you're sharing your opinion with somebody, you're sh- you're saying when you're when you're sharing your candor with somebody, you're saying here's what I see, but you're also interested in the reciprocal. What do you see? I think so much of radical candor is about asking for it before you start dishing it out. So you want to solicit radical candor before you start offering it up to people to prove that you view it as a gift and that you know you're not always right and you're not perfect either. Now, that sounds like the sort of thing that obviously could be useful if you are a manager supervising people. It also strikes me that if I'm walking into a team as a team member, there might be use for this because certainly when you're on a team, you want to be able to give feedback to the other people on the team and you probably want to be able to accept it from them. How do you think about radical candor when you're not going up and down an organization, but when you're just doing this with your peers? It it is really exactly the same up, down, or sideways. I'm not a, I'm not a very hierarchical person, so I wouldn't suggest that you speak differently to your boss than to your employees and to your peers. I think the the basic things you need to do and the order in which you need to do them are the same, no matter whether you're speaking to some the president of the United States or or to the homeless guy you just passed by. So I think if 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 you should have to interact with either either one of either one. So I think the first thing you you should do with your peers when soliciting feedback is to come up with a go-to question. Come up with a question that you feel comfortable asking. You've got to remember that people are reluctant. For the same reason you're reluctant to give feedback, other people are reluctant to give you feedback. And when you ask them for feedback, it's sort of awkward. So you've got to figure out a question that doesn't feel awkward for you. So you can do this right now in in the next 15 seconds. Come up with a question that you think you could ask somebody. My question is often, 
Is there anything I could do or stop doing that would make it easier to work with me? However, a friend of mine, Krista Quarles, who's the CEO of OpenTable, said, I would never ask people that question. My question is, okay, here's my idea. Tell me why I'm smoking crack. So it doesn't matter, and that works for her. So it doesn't matter how, what your question is. It matters that it works for you, that you feel comfortable asking it, and that it's going to put somebody kind of on the spot. It's going to make them say something. So first of all, your go-to question. Next step. The next thing to do is to embrace the discomfort. It's tempting to think when you ask for feedback, if you make somebody comfortable, then they'll tell you the truth. But the thing that's going to make people comfortable is to avoid this conversation altogether. The thing that's going to make them comfortable is to say, oh, everything's fine, and and please just go away and stop asking the question. So what you need to do is not make them comfortable, but to embrace the discomfort, to to make it more uncomfortable for them to say nothing than for them to at least tell you something. Here's a really simple technique. Ask your question, shut your mouth, and count to six in your head. You are a Kendall. I only demon. just made see, I only made it to two and a half and you had to tell me something. Ah. What, were you, what were you gonna tell me? I said, see, you are a Kandorian demon. I knew it. Yes, yes, exactly. It is. It is already. It is, but it's a simple tactic, and people usually cannot endure more than a few seconds of silence. So if you can count to six in your head, they'll usually tell you something just to fill the silence. So that's step number two. Step number three is to listen with the intent to understand, not to respond. So no matter how much you disagree with whatever it is that the person just told you, don't get defensive, just repeat it back. So what I hear you saying is, and then repeat it back to make sure that you understand their point of view. And then the fourth step is to reward the candor. It's not enough not to get defensive. You actually have to reward it. Now, rewarding the candor is pretty easy if you agree with the feedback, but if you disagree with it, it's a little trickier. But of course, you know I'm not going to tell you that this is a, you have to agree with everything you disagree with. You've got to tell somebody if you disagree, but wait a day or two till you're sure you're not being defensive. Find that 5% that you do agree with and then say, but I, I feel like I really owe you a fuller explanation of, of why I don't agree with what you told me. And and then be open to what the person how the person responds. Maybe they'll convince you that they're right. Maybe you'll convince them that you're right. But candor is a two-way street. This has been the first part of my interview with Radical Candor author Kim Scott. Stay tuned for the next episode to hear the rest of the interview in which Kim shares the secrets of the ages that will make you a force to be reckoned with. And who doesn't want to be a force to be reckoned with? I'm Steve Robbins. Follow Get It Done Guy on Twitter and Facebook. I run programs to help you develop the skills you need to create an extraordinary life. If you want to know more, visit steverrobbins.com or join my personal mailing list by texting Get It Done to 33444. You'll also get a free copy of my secret book chapter on how to build relationships that help you succeed. So stay tuned next time for the second part of Radical Candor with Kim Scott. Work less, do more, and have a great life. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... 
Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.